Good morning, H2O. It's, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I see that everybody has survived the ice and snow this winter. Uh, it seemed like everything in Athens was shut down this week. You know, restaurants, uh, you know, I tried to go to Kroger and one of the doors was locked. You know, just everything seemed shut down this week with all the snow and ice. But, uh, you know, as many of you know, we're going through the book of Acts as a church together, and, and we're going to pick up in chapter 15 again this week, uh, just like we talked about last week. Um, and I know those of you who were here last week, you might be thinking, they let the guy who talked about circumcision for 30 minutes back up here. <laughs> but I promise we're not talking about that this week, so we're going to have a little bit of a change of pace. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about conflict this week, so... You know, it's not necessarily the most fun topic, but it is something that happens, and and so we need to engage with that as Christians. Um, And, you know, I I think about, like, have you ever had a conflict where it's, like, not necessarily a morally right or wrong thing? You know, it's more of, like, a preference, you know? Uh, You know, sometimes we might get into silly arguments where it's like, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich and things like that? That is a classic internet debate for you. You know, is it a sandwich or not? Uh, I'm on yes team, but, you know, that's a hot take for a lot of people. It's a hot take, okay? Uh, but, you know, there are some of these arguments where, you know, there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. It's just a preference. But then sometimes there are more serious conflict where there is a right and a wrong, and, and it's a sin issue. So, you know, sometimes our conflicts may happen when a friend of ours falls into a sin area and we're trying to bring them back from that, and there is a right and a wrong in that conflict, um, And, you know, sometimes the conflicts where there's not necessarily a right or a wrong do have big impacts on our lives, even though we don't necessarily, from our human perspective, know what the right thing is there. Um, And today we're going to be talking about one of those type of conflicts, where there's not necessarily a clear right and wrong answer to this, although I think a lot of people try to figure it out and do the math and be like, this is the right answer, this isn't. Uh, But I I don't think it's one of those type of arguments. Um, But, you know, something that God often does when you're preparing a sermon is he allows you to live out uh, what you're talking about. So as it goes, you know, I had conflict in my life this week with my wife, Abby. You know, if you are married, you probably have had conflicts, too. Um, So, you know, as I was, it was literally as I was working on the sermon that this happened. So I feel like that was just God saying, hey, you're not immune. You need to be humble, too. Um, So my wife, Abby, is a photographer And so I had agreed to be her second shooter for a wedding one weekend, uh, like three or four months ago. And, uh, but something came up on my schedule that I could not get out of uh, that was that exact same weekend. And there's no way that I could have done both. It was just not possible at all. Um, And so I told her, I was like, I can't do this. You know, I've got something that I can't get out of no matter what I do. I probably didn't word it quite that nicely if we're honest, you know, and so uh, there's that. But I was just like, I can't do it. You know, we're going to have to find somebody else. And so she was upset with me. And I think, you know, rightfully so. It was like, I'm I'm changing things last minute on her. So from her perspective, it felt like I was being flaky and I wasn't committed to it and I didn't want to help her out. And then from my end, I was like, there's nothing I can do. There's this conflict. I have to be there. I don't know what to tell you type of thing. Um, And so there's, you know, you can see both sides to the thing there that, you know, I can't get out of it, but also, you know, she needs somebody and it's her business and her livelihood that's happening there. So, you know, you can see how both sides are frustrated and there's not necessarily a right and a wrong there. Um, And, you know, we didn't handle this perfectly either. We still struggle with sin in our lives as well. Uh, But we were able to resolve this conflict and apologize to one another and and be humble and and go and come back together and forgive one another. Um, 
So, like I said, we're going to be talking about this interpersonal conflict with other Christians, just like that disagreement with me and Abby. And if we're honest, we've all had conflict in our lives. You know, whether big or small, we've had conflict in our lives. Um, And if you haven't had conflict with another person in the church, there's kind of one of two reasons that this happens. So number one is is you're new to church and you haven't been around that that long. And, you know, if that's your case, we are glad that you're here. We're glad that you're joining us in community. But be aware that we still struggle with sin in our lives. And if we're honest about it, we will have conflict with one another. That's just a reality of the church. Um, But then reason number two is sometimes we see people who just are so conflict avoidant that they will leave a church at the first sign of any conflict and not really dig into that community. Um, And and I think a lot of these situations, it's do over minor things, not over major things. So I think we should try to engage with that and discuss that as Christians rather than just leaving right off the bat. Now, to be clear, there are reasons to leave churches that are good, but, you know, a lot of the time the conflict is over minor things. So, you know, none of us are immune to conflict. I'm not immune to conflict. Any of our staff, we are not immune to conflict. Um, So we need to know how to handle this as Christians. And when we encounter conflict with other Christians and people who are not Christians, you know, and some of these debates and discussions might get, you know, heated at times, but we should still know how to handle them. And this shouldn't be shocking to us. You know, I'm sure you're well aware that there is conflict in your life at times. Um, But the whole point of coming together as a church is to engage in community and deal with one another's sin. So the church is messy at times when we're in true community, and even the godliest men and women still have conflict in their lives. Um, And I think in the age of social media, we can see a lot of these conflicts that happen in different churches, a lot of big-name churches. You've seen a lot of conflict and things come out of that. Um, So we should not be surprised when we see conflict within the church. Um, So like I said, we're going to be in Acts 15 this week and reading about some conflict that happens with Paul and Barnabas. And if you've been following around with us, uh, you know, as we've walked through the book of Acts, we skipped a few verses here, and essentially what happened there is Paul and Barnabas are being sent out to share the decision of the Jerusalem Council in a letter with other people. Basically, they are saying, we are saved by faith alone, and we do not earn our salvation. They're sending that out in a letter. All right, so let's dive into Acts 15, starting in verse 36. All right, so the text says this, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. All right. So, you know, the first time I read this, I thought this was really bizarre and kind of interesting, you know, that Paul and Barnabas, these really godly men who are known for their character, can't figure out whether to bring this guy or to not bring him along with them. You know, it seems kind of like a trivial thing to, to separate over and, and, and not do ministry together over, you know. And, and, you know, not to mention that they've been through so much together already at this point in Acts. You know, they've gone through so much, you know, in, in chapter 13, Paul almost dies, and probably Barnabas almost dies with him when the crowd tries to kill Paul. 
there. I, you know, Luke doesn't necessarily say that, but I think it's fair to imply that, you know, he probably almost died as well. So you'd think that'd be something that would, like, really bind you together. You had a near-death experience together, so you'd think that there would be a strong bond there that they wouldn't separate over something like this. But that's what we see here in Acts 15. Um, you know, and I think it's really easy, as we've kind of been breaking it down over time, to forget all the good things that, you know, Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul had, you know, going on in their lives and the things that they've done for the church. So just kind of break it down really quick for you. Here's like the resume of Barnabas, okay? So first of all, in Acts 4, it tells us Barnabas literally means son of encouragement, okay? He is known for being positive and uplifting. And I kind of picture this like a soccer coach that I used to have, um, he was one of the best coaches I ever had by far, but he would always be uplifting and celebrate the things you did right. He'd still tell you things you did wrong, don't get me wrong, but he would absolutely celebrate and really enjoy when you did things right and, and celebrate you for that. So that's kind of what I picture here with Barnabas, being like that coach who's always uplifting you when you do something right. Um, so not to mention, the, you know, he's the son of encouragement, but also in the same passage in Acts chapter 4, he sells his land for the poor in the church, okay? So not only is he giving encouraging words, but he's backing that up with action. Um, so then moving on to Acts chapter 9, all the apostles are scared of Paul, and Barnabas is the only one who will vouch for him. He, without Barnabas, Paul would not have been invited to the club with all the disciples, per se, you know? Um, Paul had recently become a Christian after persecuting the early church, okay? He was seeking to throw a bunch of people in prison, and, you know, Barnabas here is the one who backs him up and says, no, God has done something in this life. Um, so Barnabas is clearly a stand-up guy who's known for his character, but, you know, in Acts chapter 11, it literally says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I have not read a lot of guys where the Bible just says, this is a good guy, you know? You have like David, who's like after God's own heart. But it literally says that Paul was known for his character. Um, and then lastly, uh, Barnabas brought uh, Paul to Antioch to help teach others. So I think we think of Barnabas as the sidekick to Paul, but that's not really the reality of it. It's that Barnabas was inviting Paul into what he was already doing. So it, there's a team aspect there. It's not necessarily Barnabas is the sidekick and Paul is the main guy there. Although, you know, Paul wrote a bunch of the Bible, so it's, it's easy to see how we could think that, you know. Uh, but there's more of a mutual team going on there. So clearly, Barnabas, stand-up guy, great resume, great character. So we transition to Paul here. Paul has a massive transformation in his life that uh, Daryl talked about last semester. Um, you know, he had tried to imprison and potentially kill leaders of the early church, but then he has an encounter with God that changes his heart, okay? Um, and after this, we see Paul immediately start preaching and sharing the word with others. Uh, and I think we can kind of take this for granted. Okay, Paul has written, you know, so much of the New Testament. He's going to preach the word, all right? You know, it's easy to get that attitude about it if you're familiar with the New Testament. But, you know, I think kind of an analogy for this would be like, if you, you know, absolutely hated Kanye and all his music, which some of you very well might, um, but, and you, you know, every new album that dropped, you'd be like, I hate him. This is the worst music ever. You're posting about it on social media. You are an anti-Kanye advocate, right? Um, which some of you very well may be, you know, and that's fair. Um, 
<laughs> but, you know, imagine that after that, he drops a new album, and then you love it. And then everything that you hated before, you now love, too. So you're like, oh, everything is great. I love Kanye. You start posting about it, and, and it's like complete opposite direction, okay? That's what happens with Paul here, you know? I think, it, you know, it's kind of a easy to take for granted that, oh, he just starts preaching, but, you know, there is a radical shift in his life, and I'm sure he got a lot of flack for that, and a bunch of his friends were like, what is going on with you, Paul? You know, Paul was a Pharisee, and so I'm sure those guys were not like, oh, this is great for you, Paul. No, they were probably like, what is going on with you? You know, what are you doing? So don't take that change for granted. I think it is evidence of his character. Um, And also, at this point in Paul's life, he's had three attempts planned on his life. Now, only one of them was actually executed when he was stoned outside the city, but three times there have been plans to kill Paul, but he continues on sharing the gospel with others. Um, So this isn't even to mention that we're only, like, not even halfway through Paul's story in Acts, so there's going to be a lot more that we're going to see of his character as well. But we see that Paul is committed to God and sharing the gospel and planting churches. Um, So clearly we have two men with amazing resumes and great character, but they cannot agree on whether to take this John Mark guy or not. It still seems so strange, but, you know, who is this John Mark guy even? Who who is he and what's he about? Um, But John Mark was just Barnabas's cousin who left halfway through one of the earlier missionary journeys. So, you know, you can think of a ton of different reasons John Mark might have left. He might have had a family thing going on. He might have gotten sick. There could have been anything. We just don't know why John Mark left. We, we don't have an answer. Um, so as you think about this more and you kind of have that background information, you can kind of start to form the arguments of the two side and play, you know, devil's advocate for each side. So if you're Barnabas, you might say something like this. John Mark has so much potential to be a great leader in the church, Okay. He, we need to give him another chance. He's my cousin, and I know that he will not leave us, and he can be a big help to us. We have seen what he can do, and he'll stay with us this time. So that's what Barnabas might say. And if you're Paul, you might say something like this, you know, we cannot trust John Mark. He left us out to dry, you know. We cannot afford the risk of having someone who's only half in with us on this journey, you know. These missionary journeys are hard, and people have tried to kill us. We can't have somebody who might leave when we need him. I know he's your cousin, but we cannot trust him. So that's kind of what Paul might say there. So when we think about it this way, it's much more difficult to pick a wrong and who's right in this situation. You know, you could see how Paul would have his side and Barnabas would have his side. You can make the arguments for both. There's not a clear, yes, Paul was right, or no, Barnabas was right. Um, But I think this passage really teaches us that no matter how godly you are or, you know, how far you are in your sanctification, if you want to use a fancy word for it, you know, you'll still have things that you'll have conflict over, okay? That's what it shows us. So, you know, why spend time on explaining all these guys' resumes? Because it shows us that even great men like that still have conflict where they can't come to an agreement. Um, So, you know, even Paul and Barnabas had conflict in our lives, you know? Sometimes we just see the world in such different ways that we come to different conclusions. So, you know, Paul is a little bit more of an intense guy. If you read his language in Galatians sometimes, he's pretty hardcore when it comes to the gospel and certain issues. He does not back down. And then we have Barnabas, who's known for being like this happy-go-lucky, encouraging guy who's always seeking to support the church as well. So, you know, we, we have this conflict where they can't come to terms. 
You know, and so I think it's important we don't take away an attitude of, okay, I have a little bit of conflict with this person. I'm just going to shut them out of my life. You know, I think you could take that away from this, but I think that would be wrong. Um, There are times where that might be appropriate for you to split off in the relationship. But I think generally this is more of an example of Luke just stating the facts of there is a disagreement between these two guys, not a general rule for breaking uh, breaking off relationships and things like that. Um, But it's more of a last resort in this situation. Um, But I think this also exemplifies the beauty of the Bible. It doesn't shy away from the messiness of our lives, okay? It is real and shows disagreements even between guys like Paul and Barnabas, who they would want us to respect, right? It, It really digs into this conflict and says, hey, this is what happened, even though it would probably be better for Luke and his purposes if he just left it out. But he, he is real about it and honest. Um, so, you know, Paul talks a ton about conflict and what we should do in conflict throughout the New Testament. And I, I want to dig in a little bit to one passage in Romans. And in Romans 12, Paul says this about how we should treat one another. It's Romans 12, 9 through 18 says this, Let love be genuine, Abhor what is evil, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. So this is a high standard that Paul has set for us here, that we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. There's almost like a competition between all of us in showing honor to one another. That is the expectation that Paul is laying out for the church here. And, And, you know, I really want to focus here on verse 18 where it says, So far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. I really think we need to hear this verse right now. Because, you know, how easy is it for us to see different people on social media have a different political opinion than us to really, you know, uh, dig into them and make fun of them or, you know, to leave a nasty comment and just, you know, let it be. I think that is really easy for us to do. Um, And, you know, interestingly enough, my wife turned on a uh, comedy special by Aziz Ansari the other night. And I was like, I'm not saying I agree with everything he says necessarily, but it was, it was like funny and sad at the same time. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to a comedy special like that. He points out things that are true about our society, but also kind of pokes fun of it at the same way. And, and he talks about how we're all siloed into our own opinions. And we all have, there's one algorithm over here and there's one algorithm over there. And, you know, we're going to just find information and articles based on our algorithm. And if we just took a step back and, like, actually talk to each other, we might actually find out that they're an actual person. They're not just, you know, one side versus the other. You know, I think it's easy to be like, I've got my points and they've got their points. But we're not really having that conversation and really trying to be at peace with that person. We just want to win our points. Um, 
And so I just thought it was so interesting that even someone who's not a Christian kind of has that view similar to what Paul is saying here in Romans 12. Not the same, but, you know, he can see that disconnect and not seeking to be at peace with one another. So Romans 12 here is the standard for us to live up to as a church. Everything in our power we must do to be at peace with others. Um, And honestly, I think this all just goes back to we don't want to listen to other people when they disagree with us or we're in conflict with them. We want to hear what we want to hear, right? And, you know, for the record, I am just as guilty of this as you. I want to be right. I will struggle with, you know, only trying to make my points just as much as I think you guys do, you know? And, you know, just this week, like I talked about, me and my wife, Abby, had our conflict, and we both had to take a second to say, hey, I love you, I want to be at peace with you, and the relationship is more important than these points that I'm trying to make, you know? Um, So, you know, and let's be real here. If you always want to be right and you always want to correct other people, you probably have some pride in your life that you need to repent of. And, And again, I'm just as guilty as this as probably you guys are, you know? And And sometimes part of being at peace with others is letting go of that point that we want to make and just saying the relationship's more important. I don't need to win this point. I don't need to make this argument. I just need to say, hey, that's okay that you think that, and, you know, I'm going to love you through that. Um, And, you know, I'm just thankful for the unity we have had so far as a church, you know. It truly is a gift from God. But I I also don't want us to take away from this that... um, you know, we should just give in on every point. There are things that we cannot give into. um, And so there are certain things that that we cannot try to meet people halfway on. So for example, last week we talked about the Jerusalem Council, and this was a discussion over circumcision, and it was like basically came down to the heart of the gospel. Do I need to do anything aside from repenting and believing to be saved? And so the Jerusalem Council was like, no, absolutely not. That is all it takes to be saved. So that is a gospel issue. They cannot give in on that. We cannot add anything to Jesus in his sacrifice. It's that alone. But, you know, there are other issues that are not that tier of importance for us. You know, there are things that we, you know, can have some disagreement on. And I think one helpful way to kind of, like, organize this in your brain, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of, like, more like analytical of like, oh, I need this category and this category and this category. That's just who I am. Um, So like one way to think about it is this. We've got our primary issues. These are things that are definitional to what it means to be a Christian. So primary issues. And these are things like the Trinity, salvation by faith alone, authority of the Bible. We cannot compromise on those issues, okay? And then we have secondary issues. And these things might affect how we do ministry. So it might just not make sense for us to partner with other people that differ on these things, okay? Um, and, you know, we would still call people who differ on secondary issues Christians, and they'd be our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we might differ on these things. So for one example is, like, baptism. You know, we hold to believers' baptism here at H2O. That's, that's what we do. Um, but other churches, like Presbyterians, hold to infant baptism. Um, we don't have time to get into that whole debate and all that type of stuff, but you can see how it would not make sense necessarily if you had a pastor who was believers' baptism and a pastor who was infant baptism in the same church could be confusing, you know, have one guy who's dunking babies and one guy who's not, you know, you just, just a little different. I know they sprinkle, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, unless you're Eastern Orthodox, it can, can get wild, can get wild. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's an example of a difference. But, you know, that being said, there's a guy that I listen to all the time who's a Presbyterian, and I learned so much from his teaching, okay? It really uh, helps deepen my walk with God. So he's still a Christian and a brother in Christ that we can learn from. 
Okay, so that's secondary issues. And then we have third order issues or tertiary issues, if you want to sound smart, you know. But maybe that's just me. But um, so tertiary issues. And these are things that, you know, we can disagree on and still be in the same church together with, okay? So one example, is, for our church at least, is, you know, the young earth, old earth debate, you know? Some Christians hold to theistic evolution and some to a strict seven-day creation. And, you know, we think that we can worship together and differ on this issue, okay? This is not something that we are going to separate over. Um, so we can see there are different levels of importance of different issues, all right? And so that's just one way to kind of help us process different arguments and debates that we might have within the church, okay? And, and you might be thinking, oh, well, that sounds nice to have a system with three different levels, but, you know, in reality, that's much more difficult, right, to have those kind of debates and discussions with people. Um, you know, and yes, it, it is really hard, but we've been called to unity in the church. You know, remember back to Romans 12, we've been called to live at peace with one another, um, even though it's very difficult to do this, um, like I said earlier, almost all of Paul's letters deal with some sort of debate and division in a church that he's trying to deal with. Um, so we see that this is difficult, but we are empowered by the Spirit to seek unity in these difficult situations. Um, so we need to seek peace with others. We need to go to the people we have conflict with and, and, and try to hash it out. We need to seek to honor them as we do this, not just you know raising our voices and talking over people as you know the tendency is sometimes for us. So we need to seek to honor them and seek reconciliation, go to them and try to talk about it with one another. So, you know, kind of transitioning here, I think something that is easily lost in this text, though, is that I think God used this division and this uh, conflict in Paul and Barnabas's life to build up the church and to raise up leaders in the church. And honestly, I think they might have been more effective rather than less effective because they split up. You know, Paul was able to raise up Silas, this guy that is, is known for discipling other men. Um, and they continued to preach the word of God wherever they went, and they went to more places because they were separated. And, you know, conflict is always difficult, but we need to remember that God can use it. And that might sound like a trite, nice saying, but, you know, reality is we should try to keep this perspective that God will use our conflict even though it's hard. Um, so, you know, just realize that he might be using this conflict, one, if God could use it like he did with Barnabas and uh, Paul to, like, build up the church. But also, you know, sometimes God uses conflict to reveal sin in our own lives. Um, so that, that is just something to keep in mind as we have conflict. Um, and I think one final thing we see uh, looking past this text further in the New Testament is that we can be reconciled to others. Um, if you continue reading on in your New Testament and you hit 1 Corinthians, which is, you know, contextually written after these events in Acts, we see that Paul mentions Barnabas in this letter, and he refers to him and Barnabas working together for the gospel. So they got the band back together, and they were going out to build up the church, you know? And so they worked this out. And even though they were deeply divided over the issue of John Mark, and I'm sure they said harsh words, and it was a difficult conversation, they did try to be at peace with one another, and they worked it out. Um, but not only did Paul reconcile with Barnabas, he also worked it out with John Mark. In Colossians chapter 4, it talks about John Mark uh, being a comfort to Paul and to being a great help to Paul in his ministry. So Paul and John Mark also resolved the conflict between them that they had. Um, so I think you can be like, okay, that's cool. Paul and Barnabas, great guys. We'll have conflict. So what's kind of some application of this for us as we go out? Um, so I think 
uh, as we close here, here are some things to think about. First, we need to be aware that we will face conflict as, even with other believers. Uh, so we should ask, is there anybody in my life I'm at conflict with? You know, we had great guys like Paul and Barnabas who had conflict. So we are not immune to conflict in our lives. So this should not shock us. Men, like I said, I've made this point a couple times. You know, men of great character can still have conflict too. So then second, have I done what I can to be at peace with others in conflict? You know, we see that Paul tells us that we should do everything that we can as it depends upon us to be at peace with others. And I think I do want to address here, too, that sometimes there are situations where, you know, safety and different factors are involved, and, and these are more extreme situations, and we don't want anyone to do anything that is unsafe or anything like that. So if that is your situation that you're ever in, please come talk to a staff member, and we'll, we'll kind of help walk you through that difficulty in that issue. But, but generally speaking, we should seek to do everything we can to be at peace with one another. Um, you know, it's really difficult to do this, and it takes humbling ourselves, you know. And also it says, as it depends upon us, remember that. So sometimes people just won't reciprocate our trying to be at peace with one another. They might just not want to be at peace and hold on to bitterness. And we can't control that, right? We, we cannot control what that person is going to do but we need to try to do whatever we can. So just be aware of that. You know, we can ask for forgiveness of any sin that we committed and, and try to discuss it further and resolve the conflict, but that doesn't mean that they're going to reciprocate it. So just be, I'm sure you're aware of that, but just keep that in mind because um, it can be frustrating if we're trying to resolve it and they won't uh, reciprocate that. And then third, do I have a pattern of being prideful in conflict or am I humble in the disagreement? Um, so, and if you said, you know, yes, I do have a pattern of being prideful, I am right there with you. You know, it is a struggle to kind of show that humility in the conflict and the disagreement. But there's good news for us, even though we are prideful, that Jesus' blood paid for our pride and it washed away our sin. So we can confess our sin to one another as we are dealing with this conflict, okay? We can confess it. Like we talked about last week, you know, we need to regularly confess our sin to one another. That's why we have connect groups. That's why we have our community group, that we can be, in, be with one another and confess the sin that we are struggling with and bring it to the light. So another way to kind of frame this last question is, do I have a pattern of conflict over a, a, you know, a couple relationships or a few relationships in a recent period of time? And I think if we're constantly in conflict with one another, and, and you know you have like three or four friends with that you're all fighting with at the same time, that could probably reflect back on you. Like, am I being prideful, you know? Because the case is often true that, you know, if you have conflict across multiple relationships, you might be have some pride there. And in Matthew 5, Jesus encourages us to be peacemakers, not to actively seek to win our point and always be right and things like that. He, he tells us to be peacemakers. And another way we can do this is if we have a trusted friend, they can tell us, hey, you might be prideful in this area, and we should listen to that because they can probably see things that we might not be able to see. Proverbs 27 tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend, okay? We should listen when we have a good, godly friend in our lives because they can see things that we are blind to. So let's wrap it all up here. There's three things to think about this week. One, remember we will face conflict, and that will should not surprise us that we will face that. Two, we should always seek to do whatever we can to be at peace with others. You know, again, it's hard, and it involves us humbling ourselves and, you know, not always wanting to be right, but it's what we should do. Number three, 
Part of being humble is confessing our sin to other believers and admitting our pride might be getting in the way. So am I being humble in my conflict? So ask ourselves, is it worth losing the relationship over for this fight? Um, Part of humility is realizing that we can be wrong and we don't have all the facts. We are not God, so we don't know everything. Um, And this is really hard to do. And, you know, I know that I want to be right too, and, and I want my opinion to be best. But reality is we're not always right, and we need to seek unity in these relationships like Paul talks about in Romans 12. Let's pray. God, I just uh, I thank you for the unity that we have had in the church so far. Uh, yeah, it's just a work that you have done, God, that we've had some unity so far. Um, I just ask that we would seek to be peacemakers in our relationships and that we would be humble as we go out throughout the week, Lord. I know that I struggle with pride in my life and that I always want to be right at times, you know, and I think we should seek to be as humble as we can in these situations. I pray that whether we're at conflict with roommates, friends, family members, or other people in the church, God, that we would seek to be at peace with one another. Um, You know, we know that this is hard, God, but we know that your spirit empowers us to live this out, God. So we pray for community and deep relationships, that, that we would be able to confess sin in our community, and that we can work through conflict, even though it is difficult at times, Lord. So we just pray this, that we would be empowered by your Spirit to, be, to have unity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.